Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Ecruel, Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Delighted to be joined by a man who had a brilliant career in the saddle. Quite a brief career by today's standards, but a brilliant one, most notably because he rode for the most powerful stable in the country, which housed some of the most extraordinary household names at one time. Pendle, Crisp, Lanzarotti, Bueller, Killiney and many more. Uh, John Frankham then succeeded him and he went on to become uh, one of the best-loved television commentators for many a year on the BBC. He is, of course, Richard Pittman. Richard, good morning and welcome to Luck on Sunday. Yes, I worry about the best-loved, but anyway, you know, uh, we had a good time for 35 years, yeah? Well, I, I certainly enjoyed it. I mean, it was part of my childhood listening yeah, you to you on, young, the, yeah, on, the, on, the, on the BBC and your, your <laughs> voice was synonymous with, with many a big race at the Cheltenham Festival and the Grand National. Do you miss it? Yeah, but everything's a phase in life, isn't it? I mean, the, the Beeb stopped televising in 2012 due to money, of course, couldn't compete. And our last day was Grand National when I was on. It, it was sad, but you move on, Nick. I mean, there's another phase in life. What's waiting for me out there? So what are you doing now? Um, I, I buy horses for uh, three American friends, including Charlie Fenwick, who rode yes. Ben Nevis to win the National, uh, Maribel Stables. We buy them here to go to the States for timber racing or uh, proper racing, grade ones, uh, jumping, we've, we've done that. And I also oversee his, their horses here. We've got six with Hannon, uh, two with Mark Johnson, two with Osborne, two with Rafe Beckett, three with Willie Mullins. So there's plenty of action around, you know. So it keeps you busy and you enjoy that side of oh, it. Oh, love it, love it. And the American jumping's making a bit of a resurgence, isn't it? Money, isn't it? That's what does it. You know, 450 grand for the American Grand National, which, of course, was won by Nicky Henderson this year and Gordon Elliott the year before. I wonder if they'll put a block on, uh, on foreigners coming in. But has the game always been motivated by money? I was thinking about back to the time when, when you were running. I mean, it, it's before I can remember, but these horses are such legendary names that they stand the test of time. I mentioned the Bueller, Pendle, Crisp, Lanzarotti, Kilini, and so many more. Uh, was it about money then, the, the jump racing game, or was it just about the love of the sport? No, no, uh, wasn't I lucky uh, not to be riding for people who wanted a punt. You know, all our owners were happy if a big, backward, fat Irish horse store finished third at Ascot first time out at 20 to 1. Delighted. You know, there was none of this old give it a run. Mm -hmm. I was never asked to stop a horse, but I did twice uh, in big races. I stopped one in the Grand National and one in the Gold Cup. <laughs> through incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> so what sort of atmosphere do you think jump racing had within it then that it, it doesn't have now? Oh, great camaraderie. But it, it couldn't have existed. No sport, you know, we're talking 50 years ago. You yeah. know, no sport could be what it was then. Uh, it's become commercial, hasn't it? You know, and therefore the, the players have become commercial. I mean, look, nutritionists, drivers. We never had a driver. Um, 
I mean, Franklin, when he used to drive, he'd get up, when he was bored or going up the motorway and nobody would take the wheel, he'd just get up and, uh, while he's on the, in the fast lane and get in the back. <laughs> so whoever's in the front is all of a sudden lost. I mean, you know, it was a, and before John Frank took over and, and things changed, Frank and Scudamore and it's gone on Dunwoody and, and, and McCoy, of course, it was more of a cavalier sport. Mm. You know, Biddlecombe, the great curly blonde bear, everyone loved him. You know, Josh Gifford, Mella. It, it was a different day, big Dave Dick. People loved them. Is that why careers were necessarily briefer? Because you lived harder, lived faster, you didn't have the nutritional advice, you weren't supreme it, athletes, perhaps, yeah. like they are now. And I don't think we were as fit, anywhere near as fit. You know, I mean, they really are fit now. You know, you know, you're a good rider yourself. You bridge a rein, your reins over the neck of the horse. I'm definitely not a good rider, Richard. <laughs> but we used to have a rest halfway round on the bridge of the reins. And they get your breath back and then go again. Now, look at Dickie Johnson. I, I mean, never stops pushing. And and McCoy was an, incredible in that era. I mean, if I told you all those years ago that people would still be riding, we've got a, a jockey in riding at the peak of his powers into his 40s later in the programme, late Nassau. If I told you that people would be riding at 42, 43, 44 at the top level, you, you probably wouldn't have believed me. No, jumping. I mean, Josh Gifford retired at 29. Mm. Uh, Fred Winter went on till he was 38, I think. I did 32. But I had to move on, A, because I had a job with the BBC, but B, I could not contain John Frankham any longer. He was... you only have the one eye to know. He was patently better. Um, he, he was... I couldn't have contained him. And Fred Winter said to me when I retired uh, on a muck hill, we were both forking the muck up, you see, mm. in the morning. Um, he said, look, Richard, I told him about the job with the baby. He said, look, you've got a job here as long as you consider yourself good enough to ride my horses. But uh, you'd be sharing them with John, obviously. So wasn't that a nice thing to do? It was a lovely thing to do. It, uh, it was your misfortune, I suppose, that he happened to be the greatest jockey that oh, anyone had ever seen at the time. Great man. But a great person. He's my hero. I mean, Fred Winder was my hero. And then Franken became my hero. To have two heroes and be with them, marvellous. So take me back to, to the beginning, where it started and how you ended up at Fred Winter's. Well, Nick, I'd been four years as a pro, going around little stables around Cheltenham, where I was born. Mm -hmm. And thinking, small stable, you'll get a chance. It's not the way. You ride something with one eye and three bad legs. The moment there's the only fancied horse of the year, you don't ride it, you know. They put a jockey on. So after four years, I thought, if, there, if there's a trainer having winners and you get in at the bottom, yeah. the crumbs off the table will feed you. So that and and I worked out that Fred Winter would be retiring that year, and I approached him uh, long before. Said, "Can I join you?" He said, "Yes, I've watched you." And he said, "You're honest, and horses jump better for you than a lot of people." He said, "You'll do me, but you'll never be champion jockey. But you'll do me." Why did he? Why did he say with such confidence, "You'll never be champion jockey"? Uh, because he thought that there were so many better: Jeff King, Andy Turnell. Um, Johnny Hayne, the, the three Turnell jockeys, but there were better jockeys. But he liked the attributes I had, which was honesty and the jumping ability. And also, sorry, Nick, to, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I want you to. That's uh, but, why you're here. But Jeff, Jeff King was very acerbic, mm -hmm. you know, and tough. And Andy Turnell was quiet as a church mouse. Mm. And I love people. People fascinate me. Wherever I go, you know, I love people. If they're not interesting, don't talk to them. But most people are. And so, therefore, I, I really joined up with the owners. You know, I didn't follow them around and 
keep telling them how beautiful they were, you know, but we, we, we talked about the horses. Mm. And uh, did you have an inclination right from the word go? Obviously, Fred Winter had been a fantastic rider. Did you have an inclination that he would be instantly so successful as a trainer, or was it happenstance for you? No, I knew he would be because he had such a charisma and he rode for a lot of the American owners um, who I subsequently rode. They had horses with us. Ogden Phipps, Mrs. Valentine, mm -hmm. oh, loads of DuPont Scott. You know, the DuPonts in America are huge, aren't they? Um, so they, they, they were going to send good horses. We also had uh, two movie moguls and uh, Haley Mills. And in the early days, you know, it was marvellous. Uh, they were coming. Cohen was one of them. Nat Cohen and two brothers, I can't remember. They came for evening stables, you see, so we were all told to be the yards are clean and all that sort of thing. But I was a bit of a Jack the Lad. And in the yard was a guy called Redvers Weaver who rode. And he was very specific. So I pinched his head collars. You know, lovely, lovely leather head collars with brasses on them. Mm -hmm. His brasses were all shiny and the leather was good. And I pinched his head collars just as they were arriving and put them on my horses, you see. So when they came round, uh, Hayley Mills gave me 20 quid and said, your, your head collars are just outstanding, you see. On she went. And there, poor old Red Weaver had got my dirty leather head collars with green <laughs> brass on them. So when they moved on around the yard, he called me out. And I'd never had a fight in my life, a physical fight, you see. Mm. And, and he called me out, and he said, defend yourself. You're like an old pugilist. <laughs> so I didn't... And while I'm defending myself, one on the chin, I'm lying on the ground in a puddle, just as Hayley Mills comes round the corner. So there was, there was a certain glamour to the, to the oh, sport in those right, days. Right. The, but the opposite side, side of the scale was... The stables were there, but there was no accommodation, and yeah. we lived in not tu not touring, uh, not not mobile homes, little touring cabins, little mm -hmm. ones like that. You know, I had to go up to the Louvre and the wood, and uh, you know that was life. But we didn't care when you were young; you'd do anything, wouldn't you? Yeah, I was going to say, did you mind? Did it occur to you that you weren't exactly living in the lap of luxury? No, I knew what to what to expect because um, when Fred Winter wrote to me in the summer, because you know it used to be two months off then. He wrote to me and said, Dear Pittman, uh, really looking forward to you starting with me on whenever it was, uh, June the 1st. Um, I, I have no accommodation at the moment, but I can assure you that the tennis pavilion is very warm at this time of year. You'll be fine. <laughs> you, you mentioned his charisma. Just put a bit of meat on the bones for me. Just tell me a bit more about what he was like. I don't remember him yeah. really in his, yeah. in his pomp. He'd have been a great man at, uh, at anything. Just go back to the Red Weaver incident where I'm lying in a puddle. He picked me up by the ear mm -hmm. and got hold of Red's arm, took us out. He said, look, this is disgraceful, you know. Took us into the tennis court, locked the gate and said, sort it out and come out as men, not boys. You know, very fair. Only said, and give Red Weaver that 20 quid back. <laughs> you know, a great man. I know you'll get on to Chris later, most people seem to, sooner or later, but um, when he was beaten in the Grand National in a glaring error, a riding error, which is why I'm against the use of the whip, because I misused it and lost a huge race as a result, uh, we, we drove home, we drove for three weeks racing, I used to drive him in his car, I'd been beaten on a lot of favourites in the interim, won a lot of races, and he just said one day, you know where you lost that race? Well, I'd lost quite a few in the three weeks. 
I said, yes. He said, well, there's no point talking about it. You know, no point is there. You know, it wasn't going to change the result. I knew what I'd done wrong. So, so your, your respect for him, your regard for him, never wavered in all the time oh, you rode? No, he was just a great man in everything he did. The hardest puller in the yard, 177, horrible thing, pulled like stink. He rode it. He rode himself, in, in, you know, in the in, in exercise. There are an awful lot of topics I, I wanted to cover this morning, and I very, was very happy to, to leave Crisp until later in the programme, or... Maybe or, not or don't all. even talk it's, about it. it it's, it's so well documented. But is there something inside you that instinctively feels that you need to, you need to talk about it? You need to keep apologising well, for it. You need to absolve yourself somehow of the responsibility yes. for this. Just look at this. I can hear a horse coming. I don't know what it is, but I can hear him because the ground was quite fast. It's very shortly now. Look, I, I get hold of him and think I've got to wake him up. But I want to go right-handed round the elbow. No, we've got to jump the last yet. Just pop it. That was all right. We've got to go right-handed, and yet I pick my stick up in my right hand. Look, the crack down there. And I'm already wavering off of course. That was a basic, stupid error. We've wasted ground. We've lost momentum. It's something that... Young, well, young jockeys look at that and burst out laughing now. Because... The race has gone. I mean, Chris Tiredy's at the bottom of the barrel. Even his floppy ears, Nick, have gone even floppier. Look, they were pointing down. And then I can hear Red Run coming, <laughs> high blowing, drum drum with his feet on the turf. It was an awful thing. And, you know, cut the strides all over. Do you actually think you'd have won if you hadn't picked yourself? Yeah, yeah. For, the, for two reasons. It was the last two strides we were beaten. Mm -hmm. Had I just kept him balanced, this is why I'm against the stick, or if I'd used it in the left hand, because I want to go right around the, the elbow, he'd have gone that way. Instead, I picked it up on the right hand. He's drifted left. I've had to stop and pull him onto a stride again to get round. It's, it was... Half a length, was it, or something? I don't know. But is, that's an example of injudicious use of the, of the stick. I don't really understand why that would make you against its useful stop if it's used correctly. A horse isn't there where the winning post is. And four and a half miles around Aintree is very different to five furlongs at York. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally see that. Because of the ground, I suppose, in the flat races, they, they are less... Uh, they use it less than jump jockeys do, and it looks pretty ugly in wet ground at the end of a race, horses going backwards and they're being larruped, you know. They're far better off. As I say, you keep hold of a horse's head, keep him balanced. What does the stick do? The moment you pick it up, you lose their head with, because you've only got one hand on the reins. So they wander. If they're tired, they weigh half a tonne. You know, you want to keep them balanced, keep them going. Uh, Nick, sorry, I can see you're just about to ask another question, but there's something here, old brain. I'm very strong on the whip, and I've yet, I defy anyone to come up with a video clip and say, this jockey saved the horse from doing that because he had a stick. Something like might bite at Cheltenham. Do you remember mm -hmm. when he, he jumped the last, he went violently off towards the exit. And what was it, was it Whisper or yeah, something? Yeah, it was. Went on. And Mike Bikes come back and join him and beat him. And people will say, ah, that's because Nico, you know, got him going with his stick. Two reasons I disagree. He has passed the danger point, you know, which mm -hmm. is going out to the exit. And he's now aimed at the stables at the top of the run-in. Two reasons. Horses are like 
homing pigeons. They know where the stables are. So I will maintain till I die that Mike Pike, yes, of course, Nico was brilliant to, to keep going and get him going. But he's gone so far over, he meets the running rail, he's passed the exit, home is up there. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai. Welcome back. Hope you're enjoying the show. Richard Pittman's still with me, fascinated by his uh, thoughts on some of those all-time greats before the break. You've just seen what we enjoyed at Cheltenham yesterday. Leighton Aspel was a participant, rejoined us on Luck on Sunday. Leighton, good morning. Good morning. And Dave Ward, the bearded scribe, editor of The Sporting Life, is with us. <laughs> Audie, how's life? Yeah, very good, thanks, Nick. You? Good, great to have you back. Thank you. Were you at uh, Presbury Park yesterday? I wasn't. I was a non-runner. I'm not going to blame the trains, but owing to issues with transport to the south, yes, I was unable to make Cheltenham, so I was an avid viewer on racing TV. Did he give you a highlight for you? Very good question. I really like the first winner for Philip Hobbs. I think Time Hill is a really exciting prospect. I, I thought he did that really nicely, and I think it'd be a big play one of the staying novice hurdles at the festival. And we'll talk a little bit about Time Hill uh, uh, later on. Leighton, you were in the last there on Lady in Hiding. Hiding, yeah. Yeah, and I, I thought she ran a nice race. She did. <coughs> Not a good solid run, um, unless the company, and she's got black type now, you know, for a further on down the line. But yeah, she's a, a nice progressive filly. And seven or eight winners for you in the in the last fortnight. Things going going yeah, strong. Yeah, going 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 good. There's lots of racing now, and the horses are fit and healthy, and just a case of finding the right races and uh, try to ride them properly. And I'm not going to try and pension you off. I and mean, we were talking <laughs> earlier on with Richard about jockeys going on and on. But are you you feeling good in yourself? Do you feel as fit and as 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 healthy as you did 20 years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah, very much so. Maybe not as, as much as 20, 20 years ago, but no. Ten years ago, five years ago. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be still doing it. And, but you don't, you, you don't feel physically <coughs> any different as the, as the years roll on. You feel just the same. Yeah, you might have to work a bit harder uh, uh, to maintain your fitness and stuff like that, but um, it, it's all part of it, and it's, something, it's an element that I'd enjoy, and um, just keeps, keeps, you, keeps you sharp and, 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 and you know, keeps, you, keeps you fit. Do you have to waste very much, losing weight all the time? Not really, not, not much wasting. I, I try to avoid it possibly yeah. because it just affects your, your whole energy yeah. and, and, and the whole thing. You, you just try to maintain a, a, a good, nice, nice weight where you don't have to lose yeah. too much too quickly. I mean, that's what stops jockeys a lot, you know, travelling the wasting. You look at little Dickie Johnson, never misses breakfast, mm. John Joe didn't, Willie Carson didn't. It's such a, a, an added bonus, mm. isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And I'm not saying you're in a position where you can pick and choose, but you're not going to do anything daft, are you? You're not going to go and take rides that are completely crazy. No, if I can avoid it, I will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but and you, you see less and less horses running off, off 10 stone nowadays. Yeah. Once my time, it was, you know, like yeah. the old 7-7 seven, seven flat jockey days. Um, you know, the handicaps are more compressed now. But no, I, you know, I, I'm very lucky where, you know, Oliver Sherwood and Lucy Wyman and Nick Giffords, you know, some nice horses. And mm. there's enough of them there now to, 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 you know, to give, me, give me a good career. And do you see that going on quite a while yet? Hmm, I'm, I'm very hopeful. As long as um, I'm able and, and, and they're happy to put me up. And um, as long as I'm not making uh, you know, any more mistakes than, than normal, then uh, you know I, I can provide them with winners. I'm sure they'll be happy to put me up. Um, and in the, in the little hiatus that you had when you weren't riding, you were with John Dunlop for yeah. a little while, weren't you? Is training still something that interests you, or was it a case of seeing seeing it and then thinking, no, I don't quite fancy that? No, I, I, the, the challenge of it uh, um, uh, is, is something that in, intrigues me. You know, uh, Richard, I know you for the you'd have a. A stable of fifty or a hundred, you know, the, to get to to 
to achieve the maximum out of each of them. You know, it, it, it would be a big challenge. You know, some are easy, some are hard, mentally or physically, and you know, to to to, to get the best. Out. It would it would be a sort of challenge that would interest me. Uh, if, 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 if it presented itself. Yeah, because when I talked to you about horses, we were having quite a long chat at Exeter the other day about some of the horses you've been riding. It always strikes me you're interested in their progress. You're interested in, in the arc of their career rather than just that ride that day. Mm. Is, that, is that a fair read of, of how you think about the game? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, try to see the, see the, whole, the whole picture. Um, but, you know, what, what would benefit you know, that individual the most? How, how you'd campaign them? You could do it aggressively. It'll work for some, or some of just just little steps. You know, boost their, their confidence and you know uh, the distance and, and, and ground and stuff like that. But yeah, it's the sort of thing that yeah, I, I do think about a lot. Yeah, and there's some horses you have to go softly, softly with. There's other horses like yesterday's winner, Happy Diva, who will just keep turning up for you, keep running through a brick wall for you, and keep trying every single time. I think there was a great explanation yesterday from Dan Skelton about his three-year-old was it all, all, all mankind yeah, yeah all mankind he gave a good interview on racing TV about the mentality of the horse who's a runaway at home and he doesn't gallop him very much but you know and he's looked forward to Cheltenham he thinks one race Christmas just after Christmas and and he'll be m- molly coddling him a bit won't he you know yeah. whereas another little stuffy flat colt will mm-hmm. want galloping yeah that was fascinating Let's have a look back at, at some of yesterday's racing. I think the big race is the best place to start. It produced one of the best finishes of the afternoon. And as I say, it, it produced an incredibly tough performance from, from Happy Diva. There she is, going well, coming to challenge Warthog, the yellow and purple colours. But the big question, Leighton, is would Slate House have won? And if he would have won, by how far had that not happened? <laughs> well, Robbie Power definitely thinks he, <laughs> he, he would have won. I, I seen Robbie yesterday, and yeah, very much... Think so. He went through the race really well, and he, you know he gave him the perfect ride, produced him at the right time, and he's actually not made much of a jumping mistake. Just didn't get his landing gear out quick enough. Um, some people said tired horses do that, but he didn't look tired. And Robbie wasn't of the opinion that he was tired. And the way he finished his last race, it, um, it would have been really interesting to see see but if he was if he was there. Also, hadn't Robbie ridden a peach of a race? Hmm. He had done everything absolutely right, waiting and coming when it yeah. was right. But this story, of course, is revolves around Kerry Lee. I mean, hard-working. A father's always been a hard-working trainer. Uh, uh, it's just one of those marvellous things where Ryan Price used to say years ago, you can do everything right for the sweats hurdle, and you get there, and a sheep farmer from the valleys comes down with something with straw in its tail and beats you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the same, obviously, with the Lees. They're a very professional job. But in jumping, these stories do happen. I think it's marvellous. Yeah, it was. And we saw yesterday, too, amateurs having a, a day in the sun as well. We'll talk about them later, David Maxwell and Sam Lee. But this mayor and this jockey, Richard Patrick, they've got a really, really good partnership. And to be, to be fair, Dave, she was travelling not quite as well as Slate House, maybe, but not far... Not far off it, too, out. She was still on the bridle, wasn't yeah. she? And she was on the bridle when brought down four out in the race last year. And this is a great training performance because all roads have clearly led back here mm. from that day. And she found plenty when the runner-up came to get her up the hill as well. Barry Geverty thought she was getting there a couple of times, he said, afterwards. But she's so brave and honest and thoroughly deserved that win. Wonderful training performance by Kevin Lee. Yeah, Slate House was travelling really well. It's one of those inexplicable falls, isn't it? Mm. There was no semblance of a mistake. The landing gear just didn't come out in time but what, what was he 147 yesterday he, he was going to go very close to winning off that anyway he's clearly seriously talented and it was talented. a silly fall what happened there Lane? 
I think he's had a good job. Yes, so it is, but you know, it's at the, probably the fastest fastest point in the race because yeah. Robbie's mm. Robbie's put him to sleep for the majority yeah. of the race, and he just produced him, and you sort of slingshot off that bend, and it, the fence comes up really quickly, but he jumped it well. And yeah, they've moved it a little bit yeah. further away from the bend. Does it make much difference from a jockey's point of view? Not really, you know. It, it, it rides very well on on the whole, and you know, maybe just he. he you know, just momentum, just, 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 yeah. just, just, just brought it, them down, and it, it was very lucky. I mean, in softer ground, when they're extended like that and going fast, it's mm. a job. It's a split second to get the legs out mm. to yeah. go again. You know, undercarriage didn't come. No, just, just, just not quick enough. But how often do we see, especially at Cheltenham, something falls? You say would have won ten minutes, but in other races, these grinding races, we see the result can change three times. You know, that hill is. Were you pleasantly surprised by how it looked yesterday to the eye of the racing? I was. I thought it was going to be much uglier, really. Completely agree. I've, they're doing a phenomenal job at Cheltenham, don't they? Because standing water on the course on Thursday, all the pictures you saw, right? And I thought, oh, this is just going to be a war of attrition. And it wasn't, was it? The right horses were, were winning, the, winning the races. They were finishing their races. It wasn't as I anticipated. I thought it was a tremendous spectacle. And I did yeah. fear the worst. When I saw the ground soft heavy in places, the jockeys after the first said it was as wet as it gets at Cheltenham. I think it was Richard Johnson's I thought this could be really attritional by close of play and thankfully it wasn't particularly given how the ground had been opened up at the last meeting as well let's uh, have a word with Richard Patrick Richard good morning and congratulations good morning yeah thank you very much uh, I said yesterday biggest moment biggest day biggest career high I, I, I stand by all those sentiments uh, how does it feel the morning after oh it's brilliant yeah um, come back down to us now really but um, yeah it was magical um, really really enjoyed yesterday and very grateful for all the owners and, um, yeah, looking forward to keep going now. She's a terrific mare. Just tell me a little bit about her and the relationship that you have with her. Yeah, she's, she's very good. She's um, very tough and very honest. And um, I remember winning on her a couple of years ago, her first um, Boxing Day around uh, Fontwell off Mark 114. <laughs> didn't didn't realise how quite well she was in really that day. But, yeah, she, she, all she's done is improved and she's definitely got better with the fence as well. So it's not as though she felt like a horse of like huge talent in those early days. No, she doesn't really set like at home. She doesn't really set set, set the uh, gallop of light. She's very workmanlike and just gets on with everything. And um, I think that's what I think that's what stands in good stead with the races. And she's just um, just, just gets down and knuckles. And she's a she's a real warrior. And what was notable yesterday was how well she travelled. Every everyone quite rightly made made much of Slate House going extremely well when he came down. But you, you weren't going too badly yourself. Yeah, that's it. What a great attribute. She's such a strong traveller, and she can just jump like just very easy to ride in those big handicaps because she just travels and jumps, and you can just sit where you like. Um, and she she won a nice race up in Weatherby the time before, but it's probably just a bit too fresh and gassy, and just got tired at the end. But um, she's a, she's a joy to ride. And how long has this been in the planning? She was unlucky in the race last year when she came down going well, as you say. Has this been the target ever since? Uh, yeah, I think I think it has really. Um, It'd just be nice to come back and have a great cra another crack at it because I said we were going so well last year and um, we were just very unlucky to get brought down at the top of the hill. Um, so we always thought it'd be it'd be weird to have another go and we were only one pound higher than last year. So it's, mm. yeah, it's worth it, worth a crack. And for you personally, how significant was this? Big Saturday races tend to be the preserve of a very small pool of people, whether they be trainers or riders. For you, how how significant was it? Do you think? Oh, it was huge. Um, like they're the days you want to be riding on and taking part, and it was it's just brilliant to be doing that. And then to, to win it is even better. Um, I say like I'm still claiming three, and got it coming towards the end of my claim. And they're, they're, they're the days you need to be seen. And um, 
doing the job and steering around and so that hopefully it's going to keep snowballing and get better. Now, I, I, I tried to, to, to get Kerry Lee on the programme as well, and I've known Kerry for years, used to work with her at Channel 4 Racing, and she said she, she didn't think she would be capable of, uh, of talking this morning, which I found hard to believe. Is that a measure of some decent celebration last night? I'd say there was, like, I was meant to be riding today, so I, I didn't do a lot last night, but um, you, know, you, you have there's plenty of bad days, so I think you definitely have to enjoy the good days, because um, <laughs> quite often they don't come around very often. Ah, uh, now, we, I don't know if you can see this. Um, this is you holding aloft the Bet Victor trophy, which is full of what I, I think is champagne. <laughs> I think it's actually beer. Oh, it's beer, is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, we, um, we come, come back and had, went down to the local pub and... Um, Ed Bailey actually brought it into the into the pub and uh, he very kindly filled it up for us. <laughs> well, I can think of no better use for that receptacle, um, and I hope it was I hope it was well drunk out of. Yeah, we definitely we had we had a good night anyway. So it was um, yeah, br- brilliant day. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Really looking forward to talking to Mick Shannon, but not before we have reflected on the excellent racing from Punchestan that you saw on Racing TV yesterday in the company of Gary O'Brien. And there's more good sport from Ireland this afternoon as well to accompany the action from Cheltenham. Let's have a look at the Morgiana Hurdle, which is an elite level race recognised on the road to the champion hurdle. We expected big things from a Willie Mullins horse from Classical Dream. Red Colours, the horse who won the Supreme Novice Hurdle, flanked by a brace of Rich Ritchie horses at the moment, the Green Cap Charger, the first colour, Saldier, and it was Saldier who came to the fore to defeat Petit Mouchoir, the horse who is carving out the running. And, David, it was an impressive performance from Saldier, quickened up with a sharp turn of foot after a long time off the track. Yeah, it was a real sharp turn of foot, wasn't it? He's was clearly very talented. I mean, to come back from the injury, it wasn't just a broken nose he suffered, it was a shattered nose, wasn't it, in the fall? Mm. Real Espardalan last year, he's clearly got real boots. Like, I thought Classical Dream was a worthy champion hurdle favourite coming into this. Yes, I loved him as an obvious hurdler at Cheltenham and Punchestown. Going to the last part was going to win still, and then he swept aside, he did a lot wrong, he was very keen through the early stages, but Willie in the past, Harry Kane flying for Heed himself were both beaten in, in this race, so, but on the day, Saldier was much the best, as a commentator likes to say. He was, and a nice moment there as Paul Townend congratulates Danny Mullins, who was riding the winner, uh, Saldier. I know the connections have always thought a lot of this horse, Leighton, and the, and the champion hurdle division looks up for grabs. Is he the clubhouse leader at the moment, do you think? Um, well, yesterday he was. Um, I'd still be a big fan of Classical Dream. I, I thought he looked very fresh yesterday. Mm. Well, like he, he, Paul was doing everything within his powers to, to keep him keep control of the start. Um, and it was a well-run race. Petit Mouchoir made sure of that. But yet mm. he still he, he races very enthusiastically. His jumping was excellent. He was on springs, really good. Um, and whether just the early pace, the early strong pace, which is sometimes unusual in, 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 these, in these Irish races, yes. uh, might just found him out just in the last last part of the race. And Solier, you know, it was his day yesterday. But I, I'd be very interested to see Classical Dream next time. So, would your inclination, if you were a punter, which obviously you're not allowed to be, but would your inclination be to half side with Classical Dream if he's now a big prize? Yeah, I, I think you know further down the line. Yeah, I would. And it's, from Christmas in, into the second half of the season, I think we, we'll see we'll see 
better performances from Classical Dream. We, we, a lot is going to come out if the weather's all right from now to then. I'm not a punter, but I had a few quid on a horse uh, for the Triumph Hurdle that's never run over hurdles and just got the phone call the other day that he's injured himself. <laughs> no, I never bet. I never bet, but I, it was a 20 to 1 shot. Triumph Hurdle never run. I'd want more than 20 to 1 about a horse who'd never run for the Triumph Hurdle, I must uh, say. This is a good horse. 109 rated on the flat. Okay, what's he called? From t no, I'm not telling you his name. <laughs> what? What? Uh, Hang on a minute, you don't come on this programme not to tell us. I do. No, I'm sorry about that. I'll tell you when he's right, not when he's wrong. <laughs> He won't be 20 to 1 then, will he, Gordy? Not much, much shorter. People look scat it's easy to find now, isn't it? 109 There's no way in team, team. <laughs> evidently there's one in Richard and one in Pittman. <laughs> Very good. I can't see the eye in Richard, but anyway. Oh, yes, all right. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but just going on that, it's the health of horses and keeping them right from now to March. I mean, and don't the trainers get touchy fortnight before Cheltenham? Quite can't right. even say hello. What's, you know, good morning. What's good about it? So much depends yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, that's where a lot of the training goes in. You know what? You don't want to, uh, you know, empty that 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 reserve of energy or that petrol tank, you know, too early in the season mm. because you know you got all the big big targets later on. And there's one man who's had his fair share of anxiety with some of his great Galacticos is uh, is Willie Mullins, and it's amazing what he's done this week. Not only with Salvier, but also to bring back both Fahin and Duvan to win. Uh, Fahin is well into the pensioner stage but he was making his rules chasing debut he'd won a point to point back in sometime in the last century but this was achieved in spite of this error oh my word how on earth Paul Townend sat on that I do not know and this is a, this is a shot. good shot look he oh he says oh what's this land so steep he's got one leg over hasn't he the other side he has yeah, yeah. so what's happened there Leighton well it's just <clears throat> that's actually they call them regulation fences in Ireland, but it's, it's the equivalent of, of, of our open ditch. Mm. And he just looked at it very, very late on, and it's almost like just just put the brakes on. And it's gone from you know sixty or from thirty to zero, and you know it, it, it's quite shuddering. And it, it can be very. You see a lot of jockeys unseated uh, um, in, in those circumstances, and Paul's done very well to, to stay on board and then to quickly get his stirrups back and, and get back in the race. This was high-stake stuff, running Fair. an 11-year-old who's had a lot of yeah. problems in a chase yeah. for the first time. Um, but if a horse stays straight, it makes the job easier. We, yeah. we all pontificate, say, oh, what a fantastic recovery, you know. It's, it helps if they're straight. If they go that way and you go that way, you have no chance because momentum takes you. And, and if this had gone wrong, Dave, the opprobrium that would have been rained down on connections for running him in a chase would have been pretty significant. It would have. It was, Twitter was lively, wasn't it, in the build-up to it? As soon as we announced that he was going chasing, there was plenty of people expressing opinions that they shouldn't be. What I thought was particularly impressive, when he got close to that third last, when he slapped straight back onto the bridle, going to the second last, the engine's still there. Was it? I mean, what else do you do? He's an 11-year-old... He's a racehorse. Yeah. As a racehorse, yeah. what, what, are yeah. they, what are they supposed to do? It's it's an option open to them, and they're quite rightly going down that route. And you take plenty of positives from yesterday. You overcame the mistake at the top of the, got in close to the third last, and still won. He'll have learned plenty. Oh. Be go on, go on. I was just to say, it'd be fascinating. I don't know much about it, but betting in running after two out, he would have drifted like a barge because he was fourth, maybe fifth. Mm. And then it all changes, yeah. doesn't it? And as, as Dave said, he really kind of snapped back on, and you saw that that glimmer of his of his real old star quality. But I wonder what it was like if you're closely connected with Fahina. I wonder what it was like to watch that. Was it in any way an enjoyable experience at any point? The man to answer the question, Joe Chambers, is is uh, Rich Ritchie's racing manager, joins us on the line now. Morning, Joe. 
Morning, Nick. I'd imagine you enjoyed it when it was over. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, there, there was a couple of a couple of hiccups as you as you've highlighted in the middle of the race, which was probably hairier for Paul than it was for us. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the big thing, in a similar to Duvan and even Saldier yesterday, was the enthusiasm that the horse showed as well, uh, which is testament to Willie and the team there, because you never know how they would have come back from various different types of injuries and. Um, sadly in particular as well given what he had was entirely weird and kind of freakish almost but I think for the enthusiasm that, that Faheen showed and to come back on the bridle as quickly as he did um, and go away from the back of the last as quick uh, as well as he did was um, was hugely encouraging Now Rich is a, a regular correspondent on, on this programme and I know he can't be with us this morning but how how much has he enjoyed the last few days? Um, it's been crazy, a lot more than we enjoyed last Saturday and Sunday at Navin and Meigs, anyway, I can tell you that much, um, and, and fairy out in between, but, you know, to see Duvan and Faheen come back, uh, it's a little bit like 2015 all over again, um, but it's also as important to see the younger stock coming through, and, you know, Saturday as a five-year-old to win a grade one in, uh, in open company was great. I know when Robbie Power won the, the four-year-old, uh, the champion four-year-old at Punchestown with him uh, a season or so ago, he... He loved the horse and thought he had huge potential. So we've always been pretty excited by him. Um, you know, so we've plenty of notices coming through. So uh, as wonderful as it is to see the, the older the, the older generation of the string being able to come back and show as much as in, as much enthusiasm as they have, it's also great to see the younger ones um, being able to step up to the plate as well. When did the idea of going chasing with Faheen sort of come 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 to being? Probably every season with Willie. <laughs> um, but. Um, you know, he was he was kind of adamant after last season that he he wanted to go chasing with him. He wanted to try something different with him. Uh, he wanted to try and uh, uh, and see what there was for him over uh, over fences. You know, there's no guarantee that we'll even travel with him. There's plenty of races to be won at home. Uh, there's plenty of races either side of Cheltenham as well. It's not just four days in March. I, I think we all get a little bit blinded by that. Yeah. There's um, there's eight months in the season as well. So. Um, you know, today was, was step one. Um, we're all equally relieved and kind of excited as well. And we'll kind of figure out where we go from there in the, in the coming weeks. So you wouldn't say it's a guarantee that he'll roll up in March? I wouldn't, no. And it's also a long way away. Um, you know, but you know, I'm sure there'll be plenty of talk that he will. And, you know, there's every chance that he will. But I just, I, I don't think we have to go there as no. well, I would say. Duban's a slightly different kettle of fish, isn't he? He's not quite as old. He's not got that many miles on the clock, but he's still got one hell of an engine. Yeah, I thought what he did in the middle of the race, going up the hill um, at the start of the last circuit and then kind of put the race to bed over the three fences down the back straight, uh, was deeply impressive. Um, I'm not sure he was or is what he was, but he, you know, he may not have to be to still be a bloody good horse. And there was talk afterwards about cutting him back in trip rather than going up in trip. Is that still what the team are thinking? I think the way he travelled, that's at the forefront of Willie's mind, yeah. Um, but, you know, Willie's mind does tend to change quite a bit. We're just, <laughs> delighted, to see, we're just delighted to see him back. And, um, you know, we'll, when he's ready to go again, we'll see what races are there in front of us in the calendar and, um, and we'll tentatively make another plan from there. I mean, do, do, given what you know about him and his soundness now, would you say that you get a clear shot with him this season if all goes well? I mean, would he be able to take three or four or five races? Um, whether, we, whether you'd want to give him 
as much as five, you wouldn't know. I'd love to kind of stay country with him and keep building his confidence up. Um, and, 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 you know, another grade two maybe or something like that and see if he, um, you know, you, a bit like two-year-olds having their debut, you tend to learn an awful lot more the second time up following a long, a long absence, I feel. Um, so, you know, I'd like to see him do that again and, uh, and maybe drill down and make a more uh, concrete plan after that. And as for Saldier, mm. do, do you think 4-1 to one for the champion hurdle accurately reflects his, his ability level? I think it probably more accurately reflects that no one really knows um, who the standout champion hurdle yeah. candidate is on either side of the country. Um, but, you know, he's won, unless I'm mistaken, the first grade one two-mile hurdle of the year, and it's probably a normal reaction, isn't it, to um, to cut the winner of it to, to something else or, or into closer to favourite. But Boober there must be the standout candidate, I think, the way he won a punches down at the end of last year. Um, and, you know in a year that might see a changing of the guard, he's still the, um, the standout candidate from years gone by. Now, there is, a, there is the annual Ritchie talking horse <coughs> running this afternoon at Cork. Uh, no, which... nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, um, this is Jon Snow, presumably named up by Game of Thrones fans rather than fans of Channel 4 News, I'm guessing. You'll have to ask the breeder in France, but yeah, there's obviously a difference between the two. Um, tell me a little bit about this horse and uh, whether he's any good. Uh, he's a nice horse. He was in training all last year, but like an awful lot of our novice chasers and novice hurdlers last year with the ground, uh, Willie decided to take the patient approach rather than go um, the juvenile hurdling division and keep him as a novice for this year. Uh, look, we hope and think he's a good horse. Um, he, uh, we, we picked him up after his uh, third run in, in France. Um, I think he's rated 89 on the flat or something like that over there. Um but he, um, he, his work has been good. You'd be pretty worried about the ground down in Cork. It can get very soft very quickly down there, but it is the first race, so uh, we will see. Um, he's up against two very good horses of Joseph's, um, and it looks a very deep maiden hurdle. Uh, you've got Animix uh, entered this week. Is he going to run? He'll probably go in the uh, conditions hurdle that he's in at Fairy House on Tuesday, I think it is, and Franson may go there as well. Uh, Sharjah and uh, Saldi are, are in the fighting fifth. It was an early closing race, but it would be pretty unlikely for either of them to turn up there. And if, if there's one horse that you're super excited about this season of the of the Ritchie squad, which would it be? Um, of those that have run or not run? Either. Uh, what Shakon did, I think, on just two runs at the end of last season was, was hugely impressive. As is Shakon Poussois, um, who, yeah. who, who won at the back end of last year so well. Yeah, um... You know, but uh, we, we'll see. We'll hopefully we can keep him sound. He is, and everything is good at the moment. Um, probably see him out around Christmas. I just think what he did on just on just his second start over fences, and I know it was he went to the last of the spring festivals, whereas the others had danced a fair few other dances. But I think what he did was very impressive. There's um, there's an unraced horse, a four-year-old there called Figarock as well, who I think is um, who I hope at least because I stuck my neck out for him. Uh, is a pretty is a pretty tidy animal, and he'll be out in the in the coming weeks. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. I was fortunate enough that I had a lot of great people around me, and uh, that, that got me through. And that brings me that bring me on to David Ellsworth and and, and Richard Hannan, who were we were born within. Well, we were brought up. We weren't all born in the yeah. same area, but within six mile radius, we were. You know, 
There was there was ha there was Richard at uh, Everly. There yeah. was there was David Ellsworth at Netheravon, and me and me and Truton. But I went to play football, and they they went the horse route, and I eventually came back to it. You know. So had you been friends with them since even absolutely. before the football days? Oh, so absolutely. So you all knew each other. So you oh, all yeah. hung around together as as kids. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Tell yeah. me, tell me what what was? I'm fascinated. Uh, I find him one of the most interesting men in the sport. What was David Ellsworth like as a young man? He'll have a row in an empty room, Alzi. But we, we, we've had rows, we've had fights, you know, um, disagreements. But we still get on, you know, I mean, we go to football together, we shoot together, you know. Um, and, Richard, and Richard's a star. Richard was the sensible one, you know. Although, don't worry, he could, <laughs> you know, he was a character in his own, own right. But, uh, you know, two smashing people, you know, two totally different characters. Yeah. You know, what I'm trying to say is you can't put them in the same... But two lovely men who are passionate about foot, you know, well, they enjoyed the football, but they were they were passionate about the horses and and what Richard Hannan done, you know, I mean, he, his dad had a, had what half a dozen horses. Yeah. Old Harry, I remember him. He was a he was a massive. He was a great character. And then then Elsie, who was doing a lot of the breaking and pre-training and what have you. Mm. And still, still did a bit of work in Salisbury Market and things like that. But you know, that was in them days. We all did. We all, you know, the, the, there wasn't the money around. We've come from from nothing, and uh, it's been great fun. You know, we come, you know, you come through, and you, you get get to this stage, and you realise how lucky you, we, we've all been. You know, would you have been a trainer were it not for them? Were they the people that inspired you that way? I think so. And you know. I had horses with both of them, mm. you know. I had horses trained by both of them. Alzi trained James Mead was probably the best, and uh, and, and and Richard Annan trained Spill the Beans, named after a, a taxi driver that used to, you know, inform on us all the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the taxi driver? Well, Larry the cabbie was called. You know, he was a, he was a great character in Southampton in them days. He was a, he was a lovely man. So who was he? Was he in the pay of some of the, some of the papers? Well, absolutely. Well, we don't know. He was, he was just a character, but uh, you know. And, and after me, Peter Shilton would know him well, and Alan yeah. Ball. He, you know, he, he was he was someone who who looked after all all the all the players at Southampton in them days. Could you walk down the street when you were in your in your twenties and thirties without being without being stopped and? Chatted to and asked for autographs. Oh and yeah, yeah. And I think it was a lot more relaxed then. We were part of the community, you know. And you know, we're like it's Southampton. I mean, I listen. I didn't, you know, I didn't play for a London club, so I don't know how it, how it was like up. What it was like up here, but you know, Southampton. You most most of people, you, all the supporters knew you anyway. Yeah. And you just took took it for granted, you know. And I went to Norwich, and Norwich was very similar. Norwich is a lovely city. You know, and the the people at Norwich and the people at Southampton always felt part of the club, and that's where football is is, is basically going through a sticky time. In in the sense that all the big clubs now, are, the money is 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 basically, I'm not saying spoiling it because I think that, you know the Premiership is a great spectacle. The football's good. It's certainly changed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, with with VAR and and, uh, and everything else that's going on, you know, I mean, it's the game's changed. You know, we used to get tackled from behind and things like that, you know. And, you know, we, we had Tommy Smiths and Norman Hunters and, um, and all those people to put up with, you know. But, uh, 
Football's a little bit different now. It's a bit of a tarts game, mm. I feel. <laughs> you have to be tough then. You have, oh, to, be, in them you have days. to be a tough, oh, hard, resilient sportsman. Yeah, I, from, from a spectator's point of view, now watching it, do you think it's as enjoyable to watch? As it was for people. When well, you were I, I don't want to. Yeah, I, I hate looking back and yeah. saying it was better in our day. That was, you know, those things. You know, things have progressed and things have gone on. But I always remember playing it uh, uh, up at Liverpool. You know, and I was I was only just just in the team, sixteen, seventeen, just got into, you know, and I and I remember going there and it says this is Anfield, you know. I mean, I haven't been up there for years, so it's probably all changed. But I remember coming out there, and they had Tommy Smith, Yates, they had Ian St. John, they had all those great old players. I remember going out, out on the... Ooh, and it was intimidating when you mm, got there, yeah. you know, and I was only sort of a young lad as well. And I remember walking out, and after a minute, Ian Callan goes around two people, 1-0, and we thought, oh, this is going to be a long <laughs> afternoon, you know. And I remember about ten minutes later... You know, I didn't get many kicks that game. You know, I remember getting the ball on the halfway and looking up, and who's who's from me to you in front of me? But Tommy Smith. So I thought I knocked the ball about 20 yards by him, went round him, <laughs> round the keeper, one-one. And I remember walking back to the halfway line, and you know, you talk about intimidation, and he says, "You do that again, son, and I'll snap your back." <laughs> In, in, in the, oh and do you know God. what? You fried you me just re retelling the story. And I believe him. I believe he would have. Uh, anyway, to cut a long story short, they beat us 5-1. Five, five <laughs> we didn't get, I probably didn't get another kick. But that was intimidation. Yeah. That was, you know, you... Uh, and I, I mean, I was only a kid, and I remember thinking, cool. And they, and they were tough. Like, you went up north to some of them games, and I was a soft southerner, remember. You know, I played football in the south. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, on our day, we could, you know... If, if they came down here, we couldn't have to give them a tannin down at the Dell. Never mind who it was. On our day, we could hold our own. But when you went up there, cool, it was a different ball game. Because it sounds from what you're saying, you talk very fondly about where you grew up and the people you grew up with. That it, you, you had to work hard, but it was a, it was a sort of, you paint a picture of quite a gentle oh, yeah, upbringing. I, it, I mean, everything, the only thing that mattered to us was three o'clock to 20 to 5 and yeah. that was the game you know yeah. and all week you would build up to that and it was all about that and the, the whole city the whole town whether it was Southampton whether it was Norwich or whatever club you football was just 3 o'clock and that's what, the only thing that mattered and so playing some of those big clubs some, the, big, the big clubs in the north the yeah, Liverpools and the Manchester United was, did, they were, did that really toughen you up? Oh yeah I think I think you know as, as you got going I, towards the end of my career I remember going to Norwich and I remember um, he was captain butcher of, of Ipswich, and we had some tough games. Mm. Norwich, Norwich against, and that was yeah. that was like a local derby. And you know, <laughs> and we go back to to they used to head the back of your head some of the centre halves. You know, <laughs> you know when you went up to I mean talk and tackling behind it, but as you went up to head a ball, they would head the back of your head, and the, you know you'd have no control. The ball would fly back. People say get out of it, but I always remember. And how was that cured? How did you stop that happening? And there was one player, he played for Burnley, um, uh, Leicester and Aston Villa. His name was Andy Lockhead. And he put it, he stopped that in one game. Because all he did, the ball, he threw his head back and he smashed two or three noses. Oh. 
it was honestly and you it seemed it was self-governed our football was self-governed in them days almost and by throwing his head back he smashed the you know the defender's nose so that they stopped heading people in the back of the head That's i know it's a, it, just a little thing but that's a the, true story. Element of the Wild West about it, isn't it? As you oh, say, absolutely. Self self-governing, self-governing, but it, evidently it worked. It's a million miles away, as you mm. referenced a few moments ago from VAR. Uh, absolutely. And the judgments being made. But in, how would you? In a how, how would VAR? How could they detect whether you meant to do that? What do you think of it? Do you <laughs> think it interrupts? Them? I think it's a. I think it's a shocking thing for the game. Just because it interrupts the flows. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. You know, you you're waiting for for things to happen, and you're talking of. Millimeters and can the camera get everything right? I don't know. There's got to be some sort of discretion. I would have thought so. I I find it very offensive to the game. I think it spoilt the game. Do you think they'll go back? And, and, I, and I know not, I know all the lads there on the on, <laughs> on the on the uh, on the television are going to say, "God, it's the best thing happened to it." But I can't see that happening. You know. It, the trouble is, is the genie out of the bottle now? technologically there can you actually come back I don't think it'll go back but I think they've got to whatever they do they've got to they've got to make it there's got to be some room for error or you know there's, mm. there's still going to be there's still going to be controversy but you can't stop the game football's not that sort of game no. like I don't think it's like cricket no. where cricket can be quite exciting waiting for the it can, but, but even with even with DRS in in, uh, in cricket, they've come back a little bit. They've 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 refined it. They've yeah. honed it. Well, to, that's right. To, yeah. to, to, to try and I'm, to. I'm sure they'll they'll do something else, but uh, it's it's they've got to sharpen it up. It's got to be slicker, in some way. You're still evidently massively passionate about about the game. Oh yeah, well, football without football, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it's it's like like that. Uh, you know all the, oh, they, you know, I was watching your, your early before I come in, and, you, and they're still going on about the this, the whip and things like that. We love animal. God, there's none of us are in the game, and the big stick doesn't work. You know, I promise you, it doesn't work with with animals more so than with human beings, and it just doesn't work. And and the positive side of it, we the horses are looked after like you've never seen in your life. You know, and. Um, the, the stable staff, the dedication to people. Yeah, we still got little problems. We we need more staff. We need. Mm. There's lots of things that can be done. You know, we need more prize money. We need everything. You know, we, we'll always go on about that. But th there's an awful lot of good things in racing. There's a lot yeah. of good things in football. But there's there's still things that, that we're going to have to put together. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.